Well, happy Sabbath, everyone. So good to see you after you recover from your food coma. And uh, today, uh, we'll come to the last statement of uh, our series, Selfless. So um, as, as we go into the, into the text, I'd like to share with you a story that I read a while ago when um, this uh, surgeon, an engineer... And a politician were talking about the origins of the world. And as they were talking about the beginnings of life on this planet, one of them said, well, you know, the surgeon spoke, said, you know, when uh, Adam was placed in his sleep by God, God opened his side and took a rip from him. So I think that the oldest profession in the world is being a surgeon. The engineer responded, well, you know, the Bible says that before that surgery happened, there was chaos in the world. And God put it in order. That is a feat of engineering. And at that moment, the politician said, ha! And guess who created all that chaos? You see, we live in a world of chaos. We live in a world when we have to suffer. And we suffer seasonally. We suffer at moments. We suffer because of circumstances. And we suffer for many other reasons. And it has always been our hope and our dream. And, our, and we live anxious about this because we think about this season of life when it changes. Everything is going to be better. And you see, we, we do that when we're kids. We, we start with this mentality when we're little. Because when we're little, when, we, when we're young kids, we think, oh, when I grow up, I'm going to be able to drive. And, and then when we, when we have a car, we say, well, if I could get this other car. When we're single, we say, well, when I get married, Everything is going to be different. And then when we're married, we say, well, when we have kids, everything is going to be better. And when you have kids, you say, well, when the kids go to college, everything is going to be different. And then when you have kids in college, you say, well, when they get out of college, then we'll be able to eat again. <laughs> because we're always hoping for that next moment, that next season of life. The problem is, family, that as we hope for the next season of life, we miss the blessing that that season provides. Because we're always hoping for something better, something that comes later, and we miss the opportunity of experiencing the blessing that God has for us at that moment. The Apostle Paul said it in Way better words. And if you can open your notes with me or your Bible. And let's go to the first letter of the Corinthians. To the Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. And I guess after eating and uh, drinking punch on Thursday. This text just comes perfectly fitting. And it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Do all to the glory of God. Whatever you eat or whatever you do, do it all. 
for the glory of God. Let me tell you something, family. This text has nothing to do with food. The meaning of this text is about the attitude we ought to have when we act. Reflect, reflecting the attitude that is in your heart when you do those things is what's behind the meaning of this text. You see, the reward, the blessing that we all hope at some moment to receive, oftentimes we think it's not something that is here yet. The blessing is coming. And in our effort to wait for that blessing, we miss the blessing that is already here. You see, the reward is not a future thing. The reward is what you do daily. That is part of the blessing. And that is what Paul says, whatever you're doing right now, when it's done for the glory of God, you will receive a blessing. Now, let me ask you some questions about the reward, about this thing that we call the blessing, the, the hope that things will change and will get better. And, and these questions, as we ask them, I hope that eventually they become statements of your life. The first question that I want to ask you this morning is, what if the work is the reward? What if the work is the reward? What if the thing that you are doing right now, the things that you probably don't want to do anymore, probably the things that you're already tired of doing, the things that you're fed up with, what if those things are the reward? Now, the second question I'd like to ask you is, what if the price isn't the effort? What if the price isn't the effort? You know, all the sweat, all the time, all the investment, all the energy that you use to get there, to accomplish that, to finish that, to complete it. What if the effort that you're investing into doing that thing is the very same thing that will give you the blessing? third question. What if you and I could be thankful in the process? It's going to be four years when you finish your college degree. It's going to be some time until you can save to buy that car. Maybe some more time when you find that person that you're going to share your life with. What if that process will teach us to be grateful? Continue the same letter of Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 15. Paul describes his experience. And uh, I think that there's no better example of a grateful heart than the experience that Paul shares in this text. And he says in verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now, if you remember, Paul made a career out of killing Christians. That was his first job. That's, he comes in the picture holding the robes of those who were stoning Stephen. 
Paul acknowledges that his first step into the picture of his experience with Jesus was persecuting those who believe in Jesus. Verse says in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Kind of humble there, right? Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. You know, even though Paul says, I work harder than any other, he says, there's nothing that I could have done. There's no effort that I could have invested. There's nothing else that I could have accomplished that could have given me the blessing of the grace that God has able to give me. There's nothing that I could have done by myself that could have accomplished half of the things that through the grace of God I could. Now, let me remind you that Paul was very different than the other apostles. Well, to begin with, he was not an apostle. I mean a disciple. He was an apostle. Let me explain the difference. The disciples were the 12th that were with Jesus with his three and a half years of ministry. Remember those? We've talked about Matthew, John, Bartholomew. Who remembers Bartholomew, right? The 12th. Paul was not in that group. Paul was called later when he was persecuting those who were the disciples of the disciples. So when we read about the disciples, the 12, they were not academic scholars. They were not intellectuals. In fact, when they spoke, they said, oh, you're a Galilean. And saying a Galilean is somebody who didn't have any schooling. But Paul... When we read the scripture, we find that he learned from one of the top teachers of the time. He learned at the feet of Gamaliel. So he had a college education. He spoke several languages. He was a scholar. He had learned the whole Old Testament by memory. Because that was his job as a Pharisee. But notice one thing, that the Pharisees were known by telling people, this is how much I know. You better listen to me because I know. And Paul is saying in this, in this text, I really don't know anything. Paul's attitude changed a little bit because he understood that whatever he accomplished, it wasn't because of his own ability, because of his own effort, because of his own intellectual capacity. It was because the grace of God used him and used his abilities to do something greater that he could ever accomplish on his own. Now, what if we had an interview with Paul? You know those interviews that they do at uh, CNN or Fox? whatever you prefer, or ESPN. And you know, when they interview that individual, and there's two cameras, one behind the other, so they can see the face, and maybe it's dark in the background, and all you see is the light on the faces of, 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 of the interviewer and the interviewee. Think about that. What if somebody came to Paul in an interview? Special, 8 o'clock, prime time. And the question was this, Paul, tell us, how, how were you able to do what you did? Paul 
probably would have responded, well, when others were sleeping, I was planning strategies. Or maybe he could have said, when others were enjoying comfort, I was beaten, persecuted, shipwrecked, imprisoned. Or maybe he could have responded, you know, while others try to take a shortcut, I did the hard work. Or perhaps, I spent most of my time memorizing the scripture. In fact, I wrote a bunch of it. Or maybe, even when I was in prison, that didn't stop me. Because I wrote most of it from my cell. Thinking about Paul in this way. Paul didn't say, you know, I, I didn't wish it away. I, I didn't want, oh, I didn't, I never said, I don't want these things, God. Don't let me get persecuted. Don't let me get shipwrecked. Don't let me, in fact, when I got bitten by the snake, I just shook it off. See, Paul never said, never prayed to God, God, don't let me experience these bad things. Perhaps Paul understood that part of the process of the experience with God was that the blessing was going through the difficulty. That the blessings were part of the process. That the blessings came because being in that moment. See, when he was in prison, he didn't say, I want out. When he was shipwrecked, he never said, forget God, I don't want this anymore. Or he never said when he was left by Barnabas, well, I'm alone. See, Paul never said that. But Paul had something in mind. Whatever you do, whatever you are, do it all for the glory of God. Now, what is it the thing that you do? You change diapers? You make sales calls? Doing laundry, surgery, construction, errands? Or maybe all you do is the dishes. But do it all for the glory of God. See, work is a reward. The prize is in the process. And we have to be grateful in the process because it's an opportunity. Uh, now, the reality is that there are enemies. Enemies that prevent us from experiencing the reward. And I want to share with you the first enemy. And the first enemy is the pillow. Because the pillow is that seduction of comfort. See, those things that we just don't want to leave behind. I was going to say, especially in a cold morning, but we don't have those here. We don't even have rainy days. It rained last week and it was in the middle of the night. I woke up, oh, it's wet. We don't even have that. So we live in an atmosphere, in an environment, in a, in a place that is very easy to get comfortable in. Because everything is easy. We don't have to shovel snow. We don't have a rack outside in the lobby where we can hang our, hang our uh, raincoats or anything like that. We don't. Yeah, it's really comfortable. It's really comfortable. You see, but oftentimes that pillow comes in a different way. When I get this much money, then I'll give. When I get this more time, when I'm done with this, then I'll have time and then I'll do it. And we're trained to do these things when we're young. Take out the trash. 
in a minute. But that minute is a prophetic period of time. Because we don't like to leave where we are, our comfort zone, to do something else that we really don't want to do. We want to say, well, when I get enough money, uh, I want to get enough money to live life easy. But see, God never called us to have it easy. He called us to be obedient. Easy never changed anything. It's hard work that changed the world. The second distraction is the shiny. And the shiny is the allure of constant distractions. Have you ever seen those cat videos where, I'm sure you have, where they point the, the little laser and the cat is trying to catch it? You've seen them? Don't lie. You shared them. And you, you see the light going and the cat is trying to catch it and then some mean people put the light on the wall and the cat jumps into the wall. Those are my favorite. But uh, <laughs> when that happens, you see, we live in a world that is like that. We're always chasing the shiny thing. We're trying to get that thing. And we get so distracted by the shiny thing that we forget the things that really matter. You see, it's like when we're watching Netflix and your show ends. Netflix knows you so well that recommends another show that you're going to like. Well, I just watched the first episode to see if I like it. And all of a sudden, you open your eyes and you finish the season. That's never happened to me. But uh, uh, it, we're easily distracted because that is the kind of world that we live in. The shiny things will easily distract us. And another thing that happens when we get distracted is that we get distracted because we compare. We tend to compare a lot, a lot. We see the kids from the other family. Oh, if my kids were like that. Oh, my goodness. We see the car of the neighbor or the house or the clothes or the shoes or the socks. Now people are trying to wear my socks. <laughs> what is this? So when we compare, when we compare the things that others have, automatically we get distracted from the things that really matter and the blessing that God is trying to give us. Because see, my blessing will never be somebody else's blessing. And somebody else's blessing will never be mine. But because it's shiny and it's different, it distracts us. So when my mind is taken away from the experience that God wants to give me, and I focus on something different, I lose my purpose. And when I lose my purpose, automatically I become unhappy with what I have. And that is why we keep on shopping on Amazon. It's like crack. We get addicted. You buy one thing and then another thing, another thing, and then Amazon recommends you things to buy. It's horrible when the, when the Federal Express guy or the UPS guys already know you by name. 
I, that's what I tell my neighbor. But uh, <laughs> there's a third enemy. There's a third enemy. So the first enemy is what? The pillow. The second enemy? The shiny. And the third enemy is the towel. This is a perpetual temptation to give up, to quit. We live in a culture where we quit things easy. That is why we have all kinds of unhappy people. And marriages end and, and finances, we go to bankruptcy and, 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 and we quit jobs and we have a tremendous index of dropouts from college and high school because it's easy to give up. Forget it. I don't like it. I quit. And we have excuses like they didn't appreciate me. I wasn't making much difference. Or just the plain, this is too hard. I'd like to suggest to you that instead of throwing in the towel, grab the towel and wipe the sweat off your forehead. Because the moment that we choose to give up on a commitment is the moment that we are giving up on the blessing. Paul says in Romans chapter 2 verse 7, He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good. Let me read that again in case you missed it. He will give eternal life to those who keep on, keep on. Are you with me? Keep on doing good. Seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. So there's a key phrase here. Keep on. You know what that means in the Greek? Keep on. Don't give up. Keep at it. So God is saying that there's a blessing when we don't give up when the going gets tough. Now, something that I, it's really interesting always. Uh, I go to a lot of graduations. I went to two last year that were just my, two of my kids. But in high school graduations, there's always something that is said. That always makes me think. It doesn't matter who's giving the speech. If it's a, a, a pastor or, or, or a teacher or somebody famous, celebrity, it doesn't matter who is giving it. But they always say one thing, especially to high school graduates. Follow your dream. Live your passion. As motivational and exciting as that sounds... It is very selfish. You see, the reality is that we come, or we are in a world that is teaching us to be selfish. And we start very young. Because, see, the, the greatest example of selfishness is a little baby. Let me explain before you're like, what is he saying? We just dedicated one. Let me tell you. You see, when a baby is born and is brought into the house, I've never heard a baby saying, okay, I'm here. How can I help? 
That's never happened. But the baby becomes the greatest attention, not getter, just neater. Because it's the food, it's the diaper, it's the clothing, it's the, it's the bath, it's everything. So just think about this. Have you ever heard a, heard a baby saying, mine? Who taught him? See, nobody needs to take us to selfish school to learn to be selfish. Innately, we are already selfish. We're born that way. We're trained that way. So what happens is that we need to understand that the journey of life is going from a selfish attitude into a selfless attitude. By the way, that is called maturity. So you know when a person isn't mature, when all their demands are selfish. Girls, young women, the best way to find your husband is to ask two questions. I'm glad someone is taking notes. Number one, what is the thing that you want in life? And if that does not say that you're part of it, that's the moment when you have to go. Because that's, there's no need for the second question. What do you expect from me? If that person does not respond in a selfless manner to these questions, it's not mature yet, it's not ready for a relationship. I'll just save you a few time. A few. See, the journey of life, like I said, is moving from the selfish attitude to a selfless attitude. Because see, when we think that all I, all I should live for is for my passion, that passion turns into selfishness when it's all about me. And life, the way we structure it in this world, is all about me. You know, it's amazing. Even in church, it, it's just crazy. I, I just love it. Uh, how many of you are cold? Okay, there's a few hands. How many of you are hot? Okay, more hands. Imagine this. You come to a building and you tell whoever's in charge, hey, can you tr put the temperature higher? And then somebody who is burning says, can you put it lower? Because what I want is what makes me comfortable. We ne I, I never come into a room and say, well, this temperature is a little high for me, but may, maybe some people who are cold. I'll take my jacket off. I've been sweating all morning. Maybe that's why I'm <laughs> But see, we don't necessarily think first on others because we're still in the process of maturing from a selfish attitude since we were born to a selfless attitude and the way that we reflect the character of Jesus. Now, so when we think only on our selfish world, our passion just feeds 
into the selfishness of our upbringing and environment and the world that we're in. But what God is saying is that he wants us to grow into a selfless purpose. Purpose help us to feel passionate about ordinary things. Let me say that again. Purpose helps us to feel passionate about ordinary things. Something with mundane, something that doesn't take a lot of meaning oftentimes in life. But when I do it, even if it is small or insignificant, when it's even boring, when I do it, Thinking that I'm going to perform this action. I'm going to do this tax for the glory of God. Then takes all the meaning in the world. Because it's helping me to mature, to become selfless. And I'm giving glory to God at the same time. Paul gives two illustrations about this. And uh, in, in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about two athletes. One of those athletes is a runner. And Paul says, you know, all the runners run, you know, and, and I'm thinking that he's, he's thinking about the Corinthian games. The, in Corinth, they had this, the, the, the origin of the Olympic games, pretty much. Those were the first competitions that were recorded in history. And Paul is thinking about the Corinthian games and these runners that, well, Nike could have made a killing because they run naked. So selling clothes over there would have been great. But imagine... Running with ropes. Not aerodynamic at all. So these runners run, and all of them run, and Paul says, look, these runners run for two reasons. One, they want to win. And two, they run towards a goal. When we don't have a purpose, Paul says, it's like running with no direction. It's like running. Imagine, and I was just thinking about that when I was reading the text. Imagine having, I used to be in track when I was in high school, but I was not a runner. I was a high jumper. So I always got to see the runners. And one of the things that attracted me when watching the runners, especially the sprinters and the hurdlers, that's super hard. That they were all in a line at the beginning of the straightaway and the track. And when they were running for the 100 meter or the 110 in the hurdles, they were all start in the same place, facing the same direction. Are you with me? Facing the same direction. When the gun shot was hurt, all of them began to run as fast as they could, stay with me, in the same direction. And when they got to the end where the ribbon was placed, they all reached to see who was going to be first in the same direction. So I'm thinking, what if one day let's change the race? Let's make it different. Some runners facing this way, some runners facing that way. Let's make it exciting. And we shoot the gun. What do you think would happen in that race? Chaos. Maybe some would crash against each other. Maybe some would trip. Maybe some, whoa, I have to run 300 meters. The other one's 100. Crazy. But see, that's how we live life sometimes. 
Because the things that we do normally have no purpose. We're just doing them. And that is why, because we lost the purpose, even in the simple things of life, our life has no meaning. We get bored. We get tired. We're waiting for the next thing that happened. Because we're running aimlessly. That's what Paul says. He gives another example. A boxer. A fighter. Um, my dad's name, his, his, his mom's name, my grandmother's last name is Cuevas. Back in the 80s, there was a boxer, professional, world champion, Pipino Cuevas. It's my uncle. And I remember when I was a little kid watching the, the, the boxing uh, uh, nights with my dad. And, and, and my uncle always fought at the end because he was the world championship. Until he got beaten by Tommy Hearns. Now you know. Now you know. Yeah, he beat my uncle. That's how he became champion, world champion. But anyway. Uh, and I remember that as soon as the bell rang... Both fighters came to the middle of the ring, and the whole idea was to land the punches on the other fighter. See, none of them said, well, today I'm going to miss them all. Let's see what happens. See, that's what Paul says. You know, when we have no purpose, when we live life just because, without rhythm, without purpose, without direction, it's like fighters trying to just swing at the air and missing all the punches. The only thing that happens when you do that, I don't know if you ever, if you ever practice some kind of martial art or something like that, some kind of discipline like that, or boxing. When you swing your arms to punch something, but you, even if you don't hit it, you get tired. And that is exactly what happens. When we swing at the air and all we do is miss, we don't get anything except, except exhaustion. Because you get tired and you will accomplish nothing. In Acts 20, 24, it says, But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that... This is Paul talking, by the way. If only I could finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. And he says, this, this is it. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. To testify. To testify. To testify is very different than to preach. To testify is very different than to teach. To testify means to give an example with your life. To tell of your experience. So let me ask you, what is it that you do that you could testify? Drive the kids, loving your spouse, battling cancer, fighting for your marriage, Paying down your debt. All those things could be used for the glory of God. Because whatever God allowed to be part of our lives is the tool that He's given us to testify about Him. Do it all for the glory of God. So today we have a challenge for you. And we have a Christmas tree or a tree, an angel tree, better said, right here. You see it? Now, on this angel, on this angel, on this tree, there's 53 angels. Each angel represents a child. A child from a family where his or her parents 
but incarcerated. So in this holiday season, in this Christmas season, this child is less likely to receive a gift. So we're going to need you. This is a, a, an exercise that we need to be participants of as a church. Because on December 15th, the Pathfinders and the Women's Ministry are preparing a Christmas dinner for, this, for these 53 children. But we need 53 of you to come up here. And I'll give you the instructions first. To come up here, grab an angel. The angel has the name of the child. So what we need to do is to buy a gift of at least $20. Put it in a gift bag. And bring it next week or latest the following on the 8th. So that on the 15th, every single child that is invited, every single child that has his name on one of these angels will receive that gift. So this is what we're going to do. Because I know I don't have to tell you much about this. I know you already want to do it. So this is what we're going to do. Casey is going to sing a song for us. And while she's singing, we'll come up here, grab an angel, and come down here. This ladies, these three ladies down here are going to take note of the name of the child and your name. In case you forget. So you grab your angel with Casey singing. You bring here and you tear down the bottom piece of the angel like so you don't tear it down 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 and you give it to them and you write my name you write my name not joking you write my name is it is it simple clear I know all of you want a gift, but we only have 53. So while Casey's singing my tribute, that's the name of the song, you come up here, you grab your angel, and you give it to the ladies, and we'll be recorded. Okay? And this is how we're going to start stepping on the right direction. You keep your angel. You keep your angel. You buy your gift. You put it in the bag and you put the angel in that bag. Because that gift is going to be given to that child whose name is written on the angel. Sounds good? All right. <laughs>